Hello, my name is Marcelo, but you might know me as Atasheshi. I'm a grumpy geek who solves problems, many of which created by myself with the help of my chaos magnet. That's how I'm surviving for a long time as a pothole fixer in this ship. Oh, yes, Tekka, with a P. Tekka is my best buddy. She's always around and will help me share knowledge in a very different way. I'm guessing that's why you're here after all. So welcome aboard. You are right in the middle. Finally, Tekka. I finally booked the appointment using the public healthcare website. First, I had to wait on a queue for 10 minutes in order to get access to the login page. Then, after I clicked the login button, I was sent to another queue for 40 minutes in order to input my credentials. What a crappy experience, Tekka. The website wasn't handling the amount of users, so instead of fixing it, they introduced this damn queue system to fix the problem. So instead of solving a problem, they actually created a fresh new one. But I understand, we have also done something like that in the past. Do you remember? Ah, come on, Tekka. I'm talking about that microservice architecture we tried to implement for an MVP. We thought we were solving a problem, but we actually created lots of problems. We have competitors, so we cannot afford to punish our user just because we've made a mistake. They will just walk away and find another vendor. Yeah, Tekka. I know some companies have the power to screw their customers, and in return, they get a thank you, that's exactly what I wanted. But let's be honest, those are exceptions, not rules. Anyways, we really had to think about scaling the whole solution. But we were at the early stage, and we just chose to start by distributing the workload. The first law of distributed object design by Martin Fowler is crystal clear. Do not distribute your objects. Microservices are essentially distributed systems, and distributed systems are hard. We have seen lots of romantic thoughts about microservices out there, and sadly, the Cupid's arrow has hit us hard. Taka, distributed systems only have two challenges. Number two, deliver the message just once. Number one, deliver the message in order. And number two, deliver the message just once. No, Taka, I'm saving the rum for later. The bottle is too full. Okay, let's try another approach. Do you remember the fallacies of distributed computing? Well, it's a set of assertions made by some folks at some microsystems, describing false assumptions usually made by programmers new to distributed computing. The fallacies are Number one, the network is reliable. Number two, latency is zero. Number three, bandwidth is infinite. Number four, the network is secure. Number five, topology doesn't change. Number six, there is one administrator. Number seven, transport cost is zero. And number eight, the network is homogeneous. Since microservices are distributed systems, those fallacies still apply and are often ignored. That was our second mistake. Because the first one was to 
use microservices. We thought that by using microservices, we will be able to scale the application in order to handle the spikes. Then we discovered that microservices help to scale people, not code. A huge system, maintained by tons of people, is usually less hard to evolve if you slice it into totally independent parts. This system, just to be clear. That comes with a huge technology cost, but it is worth if you need to scale people. Our whole team fits into the ship with a P-Tech, please. So we made a terrible choice to start our MVP using microservices. In the end, we managed to do it by using Monolith. And with some tweaks, we increased the system throughput to handle a bit more users until we had to build it for real. With no microservices, of course. We basically tried to build an MVP using the worst approach ever. An MVP is not a product. It doesn't need to scale. It just validates an idea to make you not waste money in vain. Taka, Kent Beck once said, make it work, make it right, make it fast. No, Taka, it's not only for microservices. In fact, I've just finished another crazy project following his super advice. Come on, let's go downstairs. After all, that's why I was saving the room. You know what? I would like to hear something with a good and old style. Hey, it doesn't have to be that old. Oh, nice. Taka, here's a question for you. Do you know what solves problems? Yes, Taka. This will require another geek answer. But let me ask another question first. Do you know what made possible for the mankind to dominate the Earth? <laughs> no, this is not a harder one. The answer to both questions are actually the same. Abstractions. As human beings, we are capable of creating abstractions. That enables us to have tons of specializations, allowing large groups to be formed Unfortunately, large doesn't mean useful sometimes, but that's another story. Anyway, continue with my geek answer before I forget the question. When I see a problem, I try to first abstract that problem. Every time I can find some well-defined abstractions that can potentially solve the problem. Then I can do something quick to validate the abstractions, just to see if it works. You know, Teco, the most inefficient way to test a hypothesis is to build it out completely. So don't go crazy as we did with the microservices catastrophic move and start with the simplest thing that could possibly work. Work is the key here. Remember the three steps. Make it work, make it right, make it fast. A simple example is our helper tool for inspecting the huge log files our customers have. We didn't know if such thing was required as we could just toss the files in an indexing service and then use a visualization tool to look at the log entries. That sounds a bit overkill for such an ad hoc operation, especially considering that most of the time we don't have such platforms available and we need to find the damn root cause fast. Such problem requires at least one major abstraction, filtering. We should be able to filter out those millions of lines to get only the ones that matters. We first started with a simple command line application that reads the lines, converts them into a structure and apply a given filter. If the filter matches that line, 
then just print it out so the lock detective can have a clue. This is basically Sherlock Holmes. I love this name. After some adjustments, we got the feeling that it worked very well. No fancy stuff, just a simple way of parsing and displaying log entries for our sake. Next up, make it right. We saw that displaying the entries is a nice thing to do, but sometimes it's good to have an overview about the entries, like counting the exceptions, for example. We then add the possibility of supplying an action, which could be printing or counting. That ultimately evolved into a fully interactive command line application because we already knew exactly what would work for us. Then we started evolving the filtering part. To be able to create expression was a must, and we really didn't want to just throw out an expression parsing thing, as it takes a bit of log inspection to read the perfect expression. Then I remember the good and old days of my HP graphical calculator. It uses a reverse polish notation for doing calculations. The beauty of this RPN is that it doesn't require parentheses, and it's an incremental approach. Exactly what we needed. It was just right. For the next step, as we were moving with our investigations, we thought it would be great to have the logs parsed a bit faster. So we made some adjustments to introduce a concurrent module. Now the parsing happens asynchronously, and the time was decreased by 50%. Oh no, Tekka, concurrency is not parallelism. Concurrency is about structure. It's about dealing with lots of things at once. Parallelism is about execution. It's about doing something a lot of times at once. A parallel flow would have one scalable process for reading a log, parsing each line and applying the filters. All of this for lots of files at the same time. A concurrent flow would have one process for reading the log lines, another one for parsing and another one for filtering. This model allows to increase the number of processes per task to find the best balance, which means parallelism. Exactly, Tekka. Concurrency enables parallelism. I don't think so, Tekka. Talking and drinking at the same time doesn't sound a concurrency thing, but I might be able to drink in parallel. Let me try it. Do you see, Tekka? A good abstraction is pretty much all you need to solve a problem. I like, for example, how Codex solved the mailing problem during the Second World War by creating the V-Mail. Sending letters at that time was really complicated as they could contain hidden messages. And there was the weight problem, of course. The V-Mail tackled those issues using a fantastic approach, taking a picture of the letters and send them in a photographic film. By taking the pictures, a thousand kilograms of letter became 20 kilograms, a 98% compressed rate. Also, both widely used techniques to hide messages, the microdots and invisible link, wouldn't survive to the process. Of course, the letters were still inspected and that was a privacy issue, but that was irrelevant at that time, considering the fact that the world was in war. Advancing in time, we have the seasonal workloads that frights a lot of e-commerces out there. Hello, Black Friday! 
Keeping a set of ready-to-use servers to make sure all the load can be handled is not that simple. If we leave the servers on, they will do nothing outside the season. And if we leave them off, they will do nothing outside the season again. So that requires the servers to handle workloads as needed. And that's why we move some applications to the cloud. So whenever an unexpected load hits the applications, the cloud infrastructure can allocate more workers to handle the traffic. Yeah, they might not be a full server, so let's say they are workers. The cloud infrastructure will also dispose the workers if they are not needed anymore. So getting rid of the unused workers frees some resources so other applications can handle unexpected traffic as well. That's right, Eka. The applications also need to be cloud-ready, or we could say scalable. But in order to build such scalable applications, we might need some extra work and the application might not need to scale at all. Back to our clumsy MVP, it was proved that it doesn't need to scale, just need to be fine-tuned. We have chosen the wrong abstraction. We solved a problem that doesn't exist. So why we sometimes choose the wrong abstractions? Well, sometimes we want to meet our own expectations and not the business ones. But now that we learn how to better abstract a problem, we are evolving the two C's confidence and comfort. Confidence is about knowing we can find the best abstractions for solving our problems. Comfort is about knowing we can work with the required tools and technologies. The market is full of solutions looking for a problem to solve, and that's dangerous. So we don't bend over to any vendor or brand. We use the right abstractions for the right problem. We embrace failure in order to learn with our own mistakes. In our science-driven development approach, drives us to make it work, make it right, and make it fast. Perfect, Tekka. We don't create solutions anymore. We are way beyond that. We solve real problems.